everybody. Welcome back to the This Believe Land is Your Land podcast. This is our second episode of the season. We are five practices into Browns training camp. And for the first time in what feels like the longest offseason in recorded history, we finally have football stuff to talk about. And as such, we are very excited. I am joined in the studio today, finally, by both of my hosts. I'm very excited to have Mike and John here for the show. Mike is fist pumping for all the people that you can't see on the video. John, welcome back to the show, buddy. We've missed you. Oh, man, it's good to be back. And you're definitely right. It has felt like a long off season and uh, definitely feels good. There is lots of stuff to actually talk about instead of trying to manufacture things out of, you know, random press conference quotes or, or whatever the case. So definitely, definitely feels good to be back. Yeah, drama season and BS offline story or off off season storyline season is over. We are on to real stuff. And the real stuff for the most part, we talked about it last week, has been kind of the stuff that we expected to see at this point. We uh, a lot of the wet dreams we were having as Browns fans in the off season have come to life over the the first five or six practices. And it's been it's been really fun to watch. I know Twitter's been lively today, social media's been lively today as we talk about the reports that are coming out of camp. But one thing that I'm taking from the camp through the first six days is unavoidably Freddie Kitchens is putting his mark on this football team and on this camp. And I think that you guys have noticed a couple of the, uh, the ways that his training camp has been dramatically different than the guys who came before him. Absolutely. That, I think we talked about that last episode as well, Josh. It seems like the, the, the rebranding of the Cleveland Browns is underway. And it's sort of a top-down culture change, and it really takes that commitment and that effort from everybody. And you just – it resonates. Every, every step of the ladder within the organization has the same response. Everybody is trying to focus on today. Everybody is trying to drown out the noise and just, just focus on competing and uh, winning. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, Freddie is, you know, as Josh mentioned, is really kind of putting his stamp on it. We're seeing uh, a lot of the good things um, – in terms of, you know, he has, he has a little bit of a laid back attitude, but it's not in the sense of he's going to get walked on. You know, he, you know, he's interested in, in the team, being a team. And you just see a lot of the things, it just seems like such an honest kind of uh, transition from what he says in a press conference to what you see kind of playing out on the field. That was my impression of it. Just a very honest, transparent, what you see is what you get type feel. So it's nice to see that kind of happening. In my opinion, it's kind of a reflection, John, to your point, of the whole team and the whole organization actually believing and being on the same page that they expect to win and they expect to compete for a championship this year. And, it, you know, that starts with the coach setting the tone, but it starts with the quarterback as well. And I think everybody's bought into it. And that's just the reality now. That's the bar. That's where we're at as an organization. And that kind of alludes back to what I was, you know, sort of hearkening on that we're in a rebuild. We're in a rebrand. This is, this is the new Browns. This is the new expectations. Um, it's not just uh, a slogan anymore. Yeah. You know, it kind of gives a little bit of credence to the whole uh, feeling that we were kind of like a rudderless ship for God knows how many years. If two big personalities can come in and do this, you know, it really just kind of puts a lot of credence into the, you know, into we, we actually have just had the wrong people in charge for, for many years. Yeah, and that's what Haslam had to say very clearly and, and kind of abruptly over the last couple of days when they've interviewed him. As they said, it's been a long time without the right guy steering the ship. This has kind of been a rudderless sack. And it, the one thing that I've come to understand about Freddie is that he has a, a very 
clear idea of what right and wrong looks like. And I'm not talking about from a moral stance or from a, like you shouldn't be cussing in the locker room or we're going to listen to country on Thursdays, but from a, like, this is how our players are supposed to execute the scheme. This is how practice is supposed to go. And they'll keep at it. Nick Shook and, and Andrew Gribble and the guys on the, the best, whatever, the, the best Cleveland podcast or the best podcast ever that I listened to earlier today. Uh, they, they emphasize that, that kitchens and this staff are going to continue to run the same drill over and over until they get it right. If guys are, have been instructed, you're not going to throw Dukes and you throw Dukes, then you're going to run Gassers. And that's not something that a lot of guys <laughs> will do. It's definitely not something that we had to witness during the Hugh Jackson era. And he's going to continue to work at it and get it right. And in some cases, that means some tough love. That means some linemen running sprints in 88-degree heat. And in some cases, what a story that I love from today was uh, Giuseppe and him hugging it out on the sidelines and him having a pep talk and saying, look, you don't have to do everything right. Everybody's entitled to make mistakes. This is this too shall pass. Get your head back in the game and get back in there. We know you're better than this. And different guys need different kinds of love. And Freddie Kitchen seems to really have his finger on the pulse in order to distribute that love when it's discipline or when it's hugs. I think all three of us in our professional lives are managers in some uh, some way or not. And so it's kind of funny to see a guy like Freddie Kitchens when he's given the reins to flourish like that. And it kind of reminds me of just like when you find the right guy, put him in the right position and uh, they just flourish in it. Uh, and that's what I think I'm seeing for Freddie Kitchens personally. Yeah, I'm seeing that too. And I dig that some of the things that we saw with the previous regime that made sense as far as like the analytics and the stats and how you handle the players and how you give them rest appropriately to avoid injuries is bleeding over in the way that he is managing camp and structuring these players. It is horrifying to me every day looking at the guys getting carted off the field in various other camps and guys, uh, you know, having soft tissue in injuries, the hamstrings and the you know, the obliques and all the pulls and the muscles that'll keep you out for the rest of camp. I like that he's approaching it with the right combination of we're going to work on this stuff, even if you're tired, even if it's hot out, while also trying to distribute rest time and water and breaks in a way that'll keep the guys fresh. So personally, I'm, I'm buying what he's selling as far as the maintenance plan. We're five days in a camp and there's going to be stuff by the end of it that we're just like, what are you doing, Freddie? But right now it just, it, it all seems to kind of make sense. What you're seeing is a coach who's actually willing to accept new ideas and not just be stuck in his ways. He's, he's taking a, a conglomeration of all these, these different you know, points of view and perspective, and he's using them. I want to move on to talking about some of the, the things that we're seeing as far as schematic stuff, as far as what players are doing what, as far as how they're structuring uh, offense and defense this year. Uh, some of the conversations on social today revolved around the use of cornerbacks and the use of wide receivers. It's a little bit surprising to a lot of Browns fans that it seems like Antonio Callaway has kind of fallen down the depth chart a little bit. That he's running with the twos and threes primarily and as the backup X versus, you know, rotating heavily at the Z or in the slot. It seems like they really have a clearly defined role for him as the deep, deep burner that's going to spell OBJ versus somebody that's going to rotate in at all the other spots, which I think is interesting. And I also think it's really interesting that they are rotating the cornerbacks the way they are. How does that stand out to you guys? I think that, uh, and I know that I'm not the person that thought of this first. I saw it on uh, Twitter. Is uh, looks like they're priming him for kind of like the Djax role. Yeah, absolutely. In, uh, last year, and that seems like a great, great spot for them to use him. That seems like a very smart decision, um, and he can concentrate and kind of master that role. And I think we can get a lot of uh, a lot of production out of that using him that way. 
you know, with the amount of receivers. Um, as far as the DBs go, I don't, Mike, do you have, you have some good thoughts on that? Just looking at the defense that Wilkes is going to play, there's going to need to be a lot of defensive backs on the field, right? So we know that. we got at least five uh, just in a base package. And being able to, to rotate and uh, mix guys that have different skill sets and different abilities and different strengths at different times versus different opponents, I think is going to be a calling card of this defense. And I think Dan Lab made that uh, kind of comment in, in one of his articles recently. And it, it just kind of struck a chord with me because – Again, that's what I think we're going to see. And, and guys that are better at setting the edge are going to be rotated in in times. Guys that are better at defending deep are going to be rotated in at times. So interestingly, the name that keeps popping up, and we talked about this already on the last uh, episode, Josh, is Whitehead. Again, a guy yeah. who can do a lot of different things and seems to be a legit consideration for, for snaps this year. I'm wondering if he's going to be one of these training camp stories where he's everywhere and he's playing with every ever the first second third team and he gets all these snaps in the brown scrimmage and he's playing a lot in preseason and then when the season starts his usage ducks down into the 25 to 30 percent max range or if this is a guy that really factors into the critical uh starting defensive roles because right now if if five days of training camp was the only data that we had to go off of it would seem like the browns base package is a 425 and he is that 5th db that they're going to run with him and this big nickel is kind of a base package I don't know, but is there a parallel for that? Is there anybody else that, that runs a base package like that? Did he do that in Carolina? Because I know Carolina was a, a three-linebacker-heavy system because they had insanely good linebackers, but is there any precedence for this with Wilkes? I don't know if there's precedence for it with Wilkes, but you know there was definitely uh, plenty of teams out there that were running five DB sets like, 60 70 percent of the time yeah, so. but five dbs with this with the, like a big safety playing like a hybrid linebacker role uh, and maybe not I, you know uh, i don't know for certain i wonder does the chart do the chargers run something like that with throwing james because he's so i mean that that's the first team that popped in my mind i don't know if they're doing it or not but that's the first team based on personnel that we're talking about in that role not that not that i'm comparing whitehead to to james but just what we're talking about that's the first yeah, team the chargers so good at that too man uh, you know, that that's just something that, like, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but like that is one of the best defensive performances that there was in the second half versus Baker. And they were so good at uh, changing their coverages and running that five DB package. I wonder if there's a team in the league that is as stacked as paper over the last three years that has fizzled out harder than the, than the chargers. It's, it, I just feel like every year there's always something stupid that's keeping that team from being a Super Bowl contender. It's in the kicking game or you know the 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 injuries or something like every year I look at that team on paper and they just seem absolute murder and then by the end of the season there's always something that's keeping them from realizing the potential it's really strange I think they keep stacking it though Josh you know they just keep getting better and better on even just on paper I'd be surprised if they weren't realizing some of that finally this year but you're right I mean injuries specifically have just Rack that team year after year um just so many acls and, yeah. and whatnot but, i'd be furious yeah. if i was philip rivers and now that i'm in the twilight of my career it seemed like they had a real lull in drafting when during the vincent like the put the hangout uh, or the fallout of the vincent jackson years where they just like couldn't seem to build a good team around philip rivers and now that he is old and getting bogged down by the weight of having 70 billion children now they're gonna put <laughs> like incredible team around him. <laughs> Talk, speaking of DBs a little bit, it seems like Greedy had a little bit of a down day today, but 
the down day comes against the backdrop of him playing against more of the first team wide receivers. And for the most part, even though guys may be getting by on him, it seems like he's being, he's keeping in phase with the wide receivers. He's still displaying that fluidity that had everyone so, uh, so horny when they drafted him. And it seems like this is the kind of opportunity that he really needs to, uh, to, to break in on that defense. What do you think, John? Uh, man, I, I, I got to come up with the, you know, the, my favorite of the Mia Culpas that I can have, which is, man, he's adapted seemingly so well to this own defense. Uh, and I was skeptical of that. And I'm so glad to hear how his transition has been going. And uh, this down day after five days is about no big deal. But I just have been thrilled to hear how he's kind of uh, assimilated into the uh, Browns defense. Uh, to me, it's been all good news. I don't care about, uh, you know, a little bit of a rough day today. Yeah, agree. One day is, is what? It's one day. It's kind of like looking back at OTAs and trying to make a big deal of it. It's, it's just, it's a blip, right? The most important part for me is he's in phase all the time. Mm-hmm. And he's making plays on the ball, whether it's in zone or in man. I mean, today, I think, Someone pointed out he was in a, uh, a a deep three cover and there was an out route to the sideline and just getting to where he got against Odell Beckham to get a hand on the ball is mm-hmm. an extremely difficult play. And he got there and he nearly, you know, got his hand on the ball and ripped it out to to break it up. And so those little things are the things you'd like to see is just, you know, him coming along. You don't really focus on the negatives, you focus on the positives. And man, he's he looks special right now. Yeah, and and for those of you that aren't uh, football junkies or, or or stat nerds, when when we say in phase, what do we what do we mean by that? As especially with Greedy, what you see is his hips, right? He's got hips that just swivel really quickly, and it allows him to, to turn. Yeah, Sh- Shakira <laughs> sang that song. Just about him. Yeah, that's Plus, that song. That song was definitely about Greedy Williams. I'm almost. It, it was. She she didn't know it yet, but yeah, that's what it was about. <laughs> But yeah, no, he's got the ability to just flip those hips and and run in phase, meaning step for step in in the hip pocket of the wide receiver, and and not miss a beat when again when they release to the outside, and that just again allows him to push them to the sideline, and it allows him to turn and make a play at the ball and have that extra protection of the sideline. So, and it's crucial, and it's crucial stuff for a DB because if you flip your hips the wrong way, uh, you're beat. So, you know, it's so it's nice. And, you know, people were criticizing some of his uh, drills at the combine and that kind of stuff uh, when it came to this exact thing. So, like I said, it's just nice to to see him doing so well with this kind of stuff, because and that's how that's how you beat a DB. If you if you get him to flip his hips the wrong way, you already won. So it's nice. He's just been playing uh, really great football since he's been on the team. Does uh, does anybody want to cast a vote for a possibility of Terrence Mitchell or TJ Carey starting opposite Ward in the starting lineup in, in two mm. defense? Yeah, in contrast to what we talked about just a couple of weeks ago, remember we were making predictions on this. Sure. Uh, you know, Mike was the strongest on Greedy, and it appears that uh, it appears he's correct because this guy seems to have opened the start of training camp with with a lock on that spot. And that's not what, what I thought. That's for sure. I'll be, I'll be curious to see if any of our listeners chime in on this. I had a long conversation with uh, pro football focuses, Brendan Leister about this, who seems to feel strongly like the, the most likely scenario in two DB sets is that uh, TJ Carey is going to start outside due to the strength oh. of his tape. Yeah. Due to the strength of his tape during the last eight games when he really improved on the stretch, he thinks that that's the safest play. And that's a, that was a bold take. I'm, I'm 
And Brennan really likes Greedy too. Like, so I, that surprises me. I, you know, I haven't been able to be as plugged in just on the hourly basis. Uh, now that surprises me for sure. So that's it's interesting take. It's definitely a camp battle to, to watch for and to see how it plays out. Another <laughs> camp battle to see uh, how it plays out is uh, the battle of who's going to fight Sion Takitaki next for being a tryhard <laughs> in training camp. And it could be anybody because that dude. He's, and I, I know I'm, I'm not in agreement with you on this, Mike. You think it's amazing, but that dude is just 150% every play. And I think that one of the veterans is just going to, like, woodshed him one of these days, just take him out back and battle his ass. What, I mean, you're into it. Tell me, tell me about why this is a good thing. I think it's pretty cool that he got into it with, the coach, with coach Stump today a little bit, just because, <laughs> because it's a good thing. It's, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing, meaning, to your point, he needs to learn how to throttle it back and practice like a professional. It's a good thing because he's setting a tone on that defense that we haven't seen in a while. And I, I mentioned it the other day. I kind of wish in the press conference, because I think this is what you're seeing on the field, is he's kind of just takes the attitude of, yo, I'm a badass and I don't care. And that's <laughs> what I do. And that's kind of how he plays. And I had mentioned I had mentioned leading, you know, leading up to the preseason through OTAs that I felt really strongly about this kid once I, I was able to sit down and look at him. And he definitely brings the physicality that I saw. That is for sure. He's got some things to work on, but I think if he can kind of hone those in, he's going to be a special player. But yeah, if he keeps practicing this way, it may become more of an issue. He's, he's got to kind of tone it down a little bit. Yeah. Hey, for a middle linebacker, you'd rather be throttling down, I think. Exactly. Up, right? Sure. Yes, yes, yes. Sure. It's like getting into the ring and trying to get a boxer to like get get amped up. It's like no, you, you shouldn't need to do that. You're you're in the ring, dude. Like you should be ready to rock. Yeah. Drama aside, the overwhelming amount of reports today about him in camp was that he was in the backfield constantly and that he was blowing up plays at the point of attack all day. That he had a great day at camp. So I find it's a lot easier to give him more runway to to reel out the the line when he is putting together good tape on the field and it's it's clearly clicking for him than it is to give him runway when he's out there over pursuing and blowing dudes up and not making play. So in, um, in that regards, it, it was really nice to see today. I, I think that it'll be really, really nice if they can get him to a consistent level. You're going to have rookie mistakes, but if you can get him enough to a consistent level where he can rotate in with the other two guys, keep the, keep them from having to play hundred percent of their snaps. And by the two other guys, I mean, Joe Schobert, Christian, Christian Kirksey, who are kind of penciled in as the two starting linebackers. Um, I, I, I think that his ability to both, be a third linebacker when they want to play with three linebackers and to also move up and be able to play uh, on the defensive line and, and provide some pressure packages makes them a lot more versatile than they would be otherwise. So I really hope that he gets it. I hope that he provides that consistent tape through training camp and earns those uh, season reps. There's no other depth on this team at the position. It's a really, really weak spot uh, on the team depth wise. So, so I'm hoping that it works out. I think we mentioned this on the podcast in the offseason. I believe anyways that between he and Greedy, those two guys are going to have the biggest roles of this, you know, this draft class anyways this year. And I think Taki Taki earns it just by what you said, Josh. Also, he's going to come in as special teams and have, you know, and have the ability to contribute there. So, I, again, I'd rather throttle him down than throttle him up. And I think he's going to be a good player. Throttling up sounds like a good like energy drink, right? I'm sure it's like a monster variant of some sort. Um, and on that note, we're going to take a, a quick pause. We're going to let our sponsors do their thing. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the offense. Welcome back. So we're going to shift our attention a little bit to the offensive side of the ball. We've been talking a lot about the defense and the defensive roles. The Browns, for the first time in a couple days, really found themselves clicking 
throughout practice today. They've had highs and lows. They've especially looked good in high tempo and 11-on-11s, but I think it's been a consensus across most of the beat reporters and the guys who have attended, like our own Chris Corney over at uh, Dogs by Nature, that the offense has been scattershot at times, that the execution isn't there where you want it to be, that they're trying some new roles. They're trying to push it down the field and get that marriage of Munkin system with Freddie Kitchen system. But today they really began to click. What did you see as far as the offense really getting it together? I think the great thing about this was, you know, we're going in the right direction. And, you know, there was early reports about Baker uh, being a little bit off, you know, questioning his decision-making, those types of things. And here we are, fifth practice, and he's honing that blade, you know. And he had a his best practice so far the offseason. He's sharpening that stuff. He, he looks great. And uh, we've had some nice things to talk about today. Do you think that um, some of the – uptick in his efficiency may have done may have been due to the fact that obj was sitting out practice today that he was working with more familiar receivers and that he wasn't locked into trying to get one guy more involved i'm gonna go no on that and i'm doing that mostly on hope you know i hope that wasn't the case uh, we don't want to see that we've seen that before with uh far inferior quarterbacks when josh gordon was inserted into the mix <laughs> all right so i think i'm calling on you know past uh past experiences uh, I, I don't think that was the case I think that you know he's just kind of sharpening that blade you know just doing these things getting getting into a rhythm you know getting fired up you know the you know he's a shit talker out on practice so you know uh, his guys want to back up his shit talk and uh, I think we just starting to see some of the results of that you know some good stuff from the tight ends from what I know um and, you know, Willie's, like some of the guys that we talked about, Willie's and uh, Higgins and, and these guys who we know he's, he's established kind of relationships with, just kind of shining through. And I don't think that actually matters whether OBJ is on the field or not for those types of things. You know, Baker has had star receivers before, you know, at Oklahoma and those types of things. But I'm less worried about him uh, with a star receiver and without one than I am with certain other quarterbacks. I think he's kind of used to scenarios like this. And I think that a lot of people will say that Baker's a pretty free opportunity quarterback. You get open, he's going to give you the ball. Jake had a very good article uh, that came out that uh, I thought was really good where it talked about him focusing on the checkdowns where they are warranted. And I think that's actually one reason why you saw Duke's stats uh lowered from last year's baker really was he's trying to get the longest play possible that he can get off the defense and Mm -hmm. that's you know that's just part of his personality or whatever so but it is nice to see him working on the screen game working on that check down uh we saw that last year um and i think that it will benefit the browns and him to go ahead and hit those easy throws when they are available, you know, to come back to your question. No, I don't, I don't think it's an OBJ thing. Yeah. And I agree, John, I don't think it's an OBJ thing either. I think what you're seeing is just, you know, it's a process. It's a, a lot of new players are together right now. The, the offensive line is, is, is gelling and, you know, he's just going through the process of, again, like you said, honing that blade, getting sharper over time. And it's just, it's the first five days of camp. Right. So I also want to point out to your, to your point earlier is Willie's was running with the ones today. And if there's, you know, any more of a comeback kid story this year that I've got kind of, uh, you know, burning in my heart, it's for, it's for Willie's. I, I really liked what he did last year. It, it, you know, kind of sucked to see him get get injured. And, uh, you know, 
if he's going to keep making plays and he's going to make a case for at least being considered on the roster, I don't know if he makes it, but uh, I'm really rooting for the kid. And, uh, and yeah, it should be, should be fun to watch as, again, we go week to week here to see, you know, what level of improvement we see with Baker and the offense. So I think it's going to be, there's going to come a point in time when we're going to take a big jump clearly at the preseason once we get games in and some of this, this talk is going to fade away. You heard it here first, folks. Mike's got a hard on for Willie's. <laughs> Loves the Willies. Rip. That Mike guy. I'm what, happened <laughs> what happened? To, what happened to Willie's last year? Really sucked, guys. Sorry. Oh, uh, the jokes write themselves. Yeah, just this is what happens when you're on a podcast. Apparently. Yeah, we got a great team between the, the the Johnsons and the Chubs and the Will. Like we got a great. <laughs> Girl <laughs> Josh is in on the Browns roster this year. Uh, Michael, uh, yeah, our boss Michael would have a field day, you know, <laughs> with these jokes. We, uh, I want to, I want to come back to something you just said there, John, about uh, the fact that Baker was really like focused on downfield passing and making sure to complete the longest play he could, sometimes at his detriment, and that they are really emphasizing getting the ball out quickly and if something isn't immediately available taking the available yards from the check down it seemed like the Browns ran a shitload of screens today it seemed like it was an emphasis of today's practice they really worked on the running game they worked on the screen game and they worked on the check downs where they could is this is, is it inside the realm of possibility that maybe this is the first year in recorded history that the Browns have an effective screen game Oh, man, I hope so. Uh, you know, as I was saying to you earlier, I watched the Packers for so many years, and <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't know whether it's just a team thing or whatever, but the Packers, whether under Favre or, or Rodgers or whatever, they are so damn good at screens. Now, the Browns have never been in the same sport when it comes to <laughs> running a screen. So, yeah. uh I can't tell you how thrilled I would be to see the Browns run proper screens because even at their best over these last years, I've never seen them run screens uh, as the Packers do just on a regular basis. So I would love to see that, that change in the team. Believe me. I was trying to remember a, t a time in which the Browns screen game was even adequate. And the, the only thing that came to mind was that early 2014 stretch um, where Hoyer was the quarterback and the run game was really, really effective. Alex Mack was healthy and they had a really good outside zone, inside zone run game. And that, that the way that Shanahan mixed in screens in the packages earlier that year before defenses just kind of caught on and started run blitzing the hell out of the line and forcing Hoyer to, to throw in the middle of the field uh, where he struggled. That was the only time I can remember it even being adequate. And it wasn't ever good. It was it was throwing to guys like Hawkins who really excel in that game. Well, now you get to throw the ball to OBJ. Now you get to throw the ball to Callaway. You get to throw these jet screens, get jet sweeps. You get to get Landry involved in it. It seems like the Browns really have the personnel to run it this year. It'll just be a question of whether they can uh, execute it with the linemen that they have. I think they want to. I think they mentioned that they want to get Chubb more involved in the passing game this year. And yeah. obviously you bring in Kareem Hunt late in the year. Just he's one of the best pass catching running backs in the NFL, and then on top of that, I think you can use Najoku in a lot of eleven personnel settings where you know you can you can fake the run and have him out there. You know, you can do a lot of things with Njoku, especially from what I saw in the film room. You're going to be able to utilize him in that game as well uh, as as OBJ as, as well as Callaway as, as well as Landry. Even I saw that the NFL ranked 
Njoku as the eighth or ninth best tight end from a production standpoint predictive uh, for 2019, which I think is, is pretty fair. We said that he's, uh, we consider him on this podcast around these parts, a top 10 tight end <laughs> in the NFL. Is there a safer fantasy football bet on the team than David Njoku, given the kind of volume he's going to see in the red zone this season? Oh God. I mean, you mean safer? Uh, safer. Uh, I mean, geez, I think Chubb is safer. I think uh, Chubb, Chubb is going to go in top, the top six of NFL drafts almost across the board. And he's going to have a lot of content to justify that. But the flip side of that is that he's going to have probably Duke Johnson, Kareem Hunt. He's going to, he's going to give up carries to stay fresh later on in the year. Early in the year, he's going to be an absolute workload hoss. But I worry that for a guy that's going to be a top six pick that he may not have the volume later in the year versus Njoku, who's never, he's never going to be replaced by another big body pass catching red zone fade freak. I'll tell you what, like, I don't know how they're going to do it, but like if, if we do actually uh, successfully integrate the screen into this offense, that is a phenomenal way to get a maybe a less natural pass catching back uh, like Chubb versus like a Duke Johnson into the passing game. Like, I God, I just can't imagine how good Chubb would be in a properly executed screenplay because he is so good. He is so good with the ball in his hands, and it's such an easy flip once he gets it that uh, I, don't know if, I don't know if we have a good handle on just how good he could be in a screen game because the Browns have not been good at executing them. But, man. Getting him that ball in space just sounds like a phenomenal idea to me, especially when you've got to deal with uh, the threats on the outside that this team has. So um, I just don't know whether we really know his potential as a, as a running back, um, you know, especially fantasy-wise yet. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I can get past Chubb on this one as far as the most safe fantasy bet for the Browns. What about Baker? Well, yeah, sure. Sure. I mean, yeah, that would be my next. That would be my number two. I, I, I just I worry that you're going to have the same issue with with, ba- with Chubb that you have with Baker in that he's going to be drafted so high based on all of the hype. And maybe it's because there's multiple Browns fans in my fantasy football league. So somebody's going to want that dude in the first couple rounds. But the the what you may get with Baker, at least in the majority of NFL drafts, where it isn't uh, a bunch of Browns fans, is that usually second-year players don't go – second-year quarterbacks don't go that high. You didn't see Garoppolo make, make that huge of a jump in his second year, even though he'd already played, you know, he'd been in the league for four years at that point. He, he was more of a ninth, tenth-round kind of guy. You didn't see Stafford make that joke, jump in the second year. Um, so, so there will be a little bit of hesitation in a lot of other NFL. If uh, we're, I'll tell you what, Josh, if we're talking, like, best values, I can't get past Higgins as the best, like, fantasy value Browns player. That's the guy I would target – um, even in Cleveland-based drafts, um, I think that he's still um, he's still going to surprise Brown fans. You know, you talk to uh, you know you talk to these Brown fans, and they're still underrating what he is. And you look at where they're placing him. Clearly, he is an important member of this team. He's he's handling the other outside spot. So I think like if we're talking about value fantasy players on this Browns team, uh, nobody rides higher than uh, Higgins in my book. I think you're right. And for those of you that aren't paying attention to what's going on in camp, Rashard Higgins is starting. Rashard Higgins is the starting Z receiver in most uh, 12 personnel sets. So he's, he's a guy that's going to see volume. He's a guy that blocks 
like a maniac. So he's going to be trusted to keep him on the field regardless of the play sets. And he's a guy that Baker has a great rapport with. So he's going to get his regardless of the other talents in the pass catching ranks. He might be the most stable from week to week in terms of uh, target volume. And we talked about it on the podcast a lot, but he's an easy separator. He was last year. Uh, he was in college and there's reports out of camp this whole week that he's been doing the same thing. So you get him together with, with OBJ and you give Baker a lot of open windows to get the ball into. He's an easy separator. Get a hold on. <laughs> Speaking of tight ends, which we're sort of talking about, what I, I like that we finally have a really, really good group of Browns media personalities this year. It feels like we're starting to flood the ranks of the uh, folks at training camp and the, in the post-game pressers with people who are asking good questions that matter. Coaches perk up. They like answering them. And one of them was, we all agreed as we were talking about it before the show, Jake Burns talking about the uh, coverage of tight ends and how the Browns were going to change their approach and how from previous years, it's been an enormous uh, hassle, been an enormous problem. Looking back at the numbers, uh, Tom Moore published them over at Dogs by Nature. Browns have been in the bottom 10, usually in the bottom five, for the last two seasons in yards allowed, in touchdowns allowed, and in catches to tight ends. Last year we got burned by some kind of middle-of-the-road dudes and also got burned by some of the best of them. We are terrible at covering tight ends. I like this year that they talked about how they're going to change the, – that they may change up the focus. How do you see the Browns kind of changing their perspective and changing their approach to, to covering these tight ends? I think, the again, the, the formation that we're going to be using is going to help that a lot. You know, having those extra five DBs on the field is going to help to, although they might give up a little bit of size, they're going to be able to, again, they're going to be able to cover whether it's dropping back, like was the, the coach mentioned today, into spot coverage, or they're going to be able to mirror and, and kind of follow. Um, the, the defensive backs are going to give us that, that flexibility over a linebacker that may not be able to cover some of the more athletic uh, tight ends and big slots that you see in the NFL today. Last, last uh, practice training camp focus question. I'm actually starting to get a little worried about our kicking situation. I'm usually a that will sort itself out with time kind of guy that you can pick up a guy off of waivers that is on a third or fourth team and they just seem to write themselves in a new environment. But I have some serious scars from the last couple of years of all the games that we pissed away late because of the kicking game. And Greg Joseph has clearly looked better in camp this year than he has in previous years. Austin Seibert has had a rough go of it so far. I don't, I don't know if these guys are going to get it together before the season gets here. And I'm terrified that in early games, as we're getting used to a whole new cast of characters, that it's going to come down to that kicking game. Yeah, obviously, hopefully it doesn't. Whether you are a proponent or not of the Browns taking a kicker in the fifth round, this we is the situation. Right, which we were not, but this is we the situation. Yeah, there's, anyways, yes. You know, what, whether or not you were a fan of it, this is the situation we're in. And I think some of the prevailing thought was, you know, let the coaches coach and, you know, let's try to fix Joseph per se. And, you know, he's been at least the most consistent. So my hope is just kind of taking this performance, which isn't fair, and projecting it forward. Let's just say he, he's an average kicker at best. The, the hope is the offense hums enough where we don't have to worry about it, number one. Number two, the Browns potentially may be a lot more risky and, and try to go for it on and, and, you know, situations to avoid or forego the, the, you know, the probability of him missing yeah. a kick from whether it's 40 yards or whatever it would be. So that's an interesting wrinkle that we'll have to see kind of as it plays out this year. 
Yeah, the numbers show that that's usually a smart move anyway to, to go for it on fourth and short once you cross the 50. Right. It was definitely something that the coaching staff tried to do last year. They did a lot more they, – they were a lot more aggressive with their play calling in not easy field goal situations, and they tried to take it easy on Joseph. And, and it was kind of – I don't remember that. What was the really, really attractive kicker's name from like four years ago that just couldn't hit anything from outside of 40, so they didn't try? I forget his name, but the Dreamboat. Wasn't it the dude from Tampa Bay? The guy yeah, that was drafted in like uh, Aguayo or something like that. I don't no, know. No, no, it was it was a Browns it was a Browns place kicker. I forget his name, but because I always just refer to him as Dreamboat Kicker because that's what my wife called him. <laughs> uh, but, I have no idea. He just he clearly didn't have the leg for it, so they just they kept him inside of forty, and he had a really good year kicking because they didn't ask him to do too much. They didn't ask him to to kick in weird conditions when they could avoid it, and they if if they could go for it. They did, and I and I hope that regardless of who they pick, that they adopt that kind of a strategy this year because these guys aren't filling anybody with confidence. I do like that we have an excellent special teams coach this year, even if he's kind of a dirtbag, and he has said that he's going to take care of the kicking game. So I appreciate that he knows coming in that that's one of his gigs is to work with him and get to the point where we're one of these guys is ready to roll on opening day. But that's not. That's that's definitely going to be something that picks up steam as we get closer to the season amongst fans. They're going to they're going to be upset that we're entering the season in this kind of situation. And I don't rule out the idea of them grabbing somebody else off of waivers as the season gets closer, kind of like they did last year. It's it's a very brown yeah. thing to ha- see happen, and I could absolutely see it playing out that way. The the kicking position and the interior defensive line depth are like the two positions that are married together based on the draft for concern. You could have had, I think, a serviceable defensive you know lineman depth picked that in fifth round but we went with the kicker and now we're in the situation but we've missed on the interior depth so it's just yeah. kind of married together it's, it's an interesting dynamic yeah I'm always gonna be, I'm, I'm with you I'm always gonna be sad looking back at the Michael Dogby's and the Kalen Saunders and all these in great interior depth options that went much later in the draft than expected and uh, and, and I'll always think of guys like uh, Redwine and cyber when i think about them these are the guys that went in the middle rounds that could have been picks that we used to move up to get that depth instead we took some stuff we, we took some shots on, on 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 players that i didn't think were a position of need at that point or at least not that level of need so uh closing thoughts guys uh as we finish day five of camp we have a little break tomorrow i believe and then they're back on wednesday what are your thoughts generally at this point in camp me personally, you know, I'm happy with what I've seen so far. You know, uh, I get to go yep. to the Orange or Brown scrimmage this weekend. I'm excited to see that. I get to see, uh, I hope, uh, the most of Baker that we're probably going to see most of the preseason, you know, in any single game. Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited to report on what we get out of that scrimmage game. Uh, but so far, all, all points to me are, you know, headed up. I think uh, we're in the right path we're uh, you know we're on the right path and we're going in the right direction for the expectations i think that we all have john man now that you're going to the scrimmage we're gonna you know we have expectations for you you are you are a beat reporter we're gonna need video we're gonna need analysis we're gonna need articles and when we get on the podcast afterwards i mean you're gonna have all the info all the stats are gonna be calculated and ready to go right of course of course yeah and you're also gonna get all things and more 
And you're going to get all of our stuff signed by the players, right? And bring them back for, for our family and friends and kids. Yeah, be that guy, John. Bring a whole bag of helmets. <laughs> the sack of helmets. Hey now, hey now. Hey now. Jeez, that guy. <laughs> does, that um, guy, does that guy who shows up with a trash bag full of memorabilia, like, does he make eye contact with anybody while he's waiting in line? Or is there a bunch of dudes with kids just sitting, like, shaking his head, like, snarling at him the entire time he's waiting? Hopefully the latter. Hopefully the latter. I mean, yeah. to get back on topic, day of rest right now for these guys tomorrow will be you know pretty important i liked what freddie said about how he's kind of changing up the practice schedule and, and, and to practice in the morning get the guys two meals uh, get those guys able to to get a you know a full day's rest get treatment afterwards also get in meetings i, I like the approach so i hope this day off coupled with this changed approach that freddie's taking and for the rest of camp continues just to help springboard us forward because again this is the the point in the season now where Week by week versus day by day, you're going to have to start stacking good stuff together. And, uh, yeah, man, looking forward to to just watching it unfold. Me too, man. And honestly, like, the thing that I am most excited about at this stage is that we haven't had any major injuries to key players. And I'm knocking heavily on my particle board fake wood desk. And John is jumping up and down and knocking on his exposed beams right now. It's huge wooden exposed beams. It's been a well-executed camp. Guys aren't coming off with cramps. Guys aren't getting injured. RAP set the valve in your Browns career, probably. The for the most part, it's been pretty. Things have been good and healthy. So, John, I'm super excited that you're going to scrimmage this week. I really wanted to get tickets for that, but we had a family commitment. We'll definitely get together immediately afterwards to get your analysis on it and what you saw and, and talk about that because I think that's kind of the fulcrum of the Browns offseason. I don't know about you guys, but when the Orange and Brown scrimmage hits, it's usually from that point forward we're we're prepping for preseason weeks. We are into it. We're getting into the, the real meat and potatoes of camp. We've we finished installation and now we're we're getting ready to to strategize and game plan. So I'm excited for that moment to be upon us. Yeah, and I hope uh, you end up with some time to step over and see the construction zone that is my new house. So <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, man, can't wait to see it. But in the meantime, we're excited that you got you're in the new house and that you're back on the podcast with us. Me too, brother. Believe me. <laughs> so all seven listeners, thank you for tuning in this week. We will be hitting you with more regular content now that the season is upon us. We will try to get these to you once every week or once two, twice every week to get you the hard-hitting analysis of Jake's basement that you have been so richly craving. Um, in the meantime, thanks for tuning in. Hit us up on Twitter, again, at Jake Cosmo, at Josh Finn, at Hawaii Browns, Hui, Shakalaka, Mahalo, uh, Mike Rupka. Um, in the meantime, it's been real. <laughs>